a legendary episode of the Behind the You podcast as Don Solinger, the we all sort of know him as the running backs coach, but there's some linebacker and tight end coaching going on in there as well, joins us as we're going to kind of do a little ode and pay our respects to the guys that went to the Hall of Fame class this year, Edger and James and Jimmy Johnson, and then we'll talk to Coach about some other things as well. Coach, took us a couple weeks to pull this off. You are a gentleman and a scholar and a fine person, and I appreciate you doing this. No problem. So talk to me about Canton, man. How was that experience being up there with Jimmy and Edge? Canton was unbelievable. I wish it, I wish it wasn't the COVID deal, you know. We stayed about 45 minutes outside of Canton. We stayed in Worcester, Ohio, which is gorgeous, actually. You know, EJ didn't send me an itinerary, so I didn't really uh, you know, know what was going on. So we got in like Friday afternoon, early afternoon, and there was a thing at the hotel saying, pick up the tickets or call this guy to get the tickets for the ceremony, you know? So I called the guy, he was staying about 45 minutes from where we were. So we came in, I called the guy up. He says, oh, I'll give you the tickets at the door. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I want to pick up the tickets. So we drove 45 minutes, picked up the envelope, looked in the envelope and that Friday night was the jacket ceremony. And so I didn't know if we were invited or not, but we had tickets to it. So we drove all the way back 45 minutes, got dressed, and then drove 30 or 40 minutes back to Canton, got there just in time. There was hors d'oeuvres outside. So when we got there, we were kind of rushed, grabbed a couple of hors d'oeuvres, and then went inside and sat down. You know, Roger Staubach, you see Roger Staubach, all these guys. And as we were leaving, we saw Mike Irvin. And he was walking down the hallway and I and I didn't catch him and he dipped into a VIP suite and I was wearing my ring. I was wearing the uh, Jimmy's 87 National Championship ring. And the two security guards says, what are you doing? I said, well, I said, I coach Mike, you know, and I said, I coach with Jimmy and I showed him the ring. He said, okay, go in and say hello to him. You know, so I went in, said hello to Mike and then he had a, you know, got shooed off because he was in for the ceremony. Yeah, I guess he was doing something and we wound up leaving. And then went back the next night, and we were outside in the infield. Uh, you know, they had it right by the stage, and that's where I got to see Jimmy and, and EJ. And it was fabulous. There were about 20 guys from Miami there, guys I haven't seen. You know, Santana Moss was there. Clinton Portis was there. Wilbur Valdez, Nick Williams, Marquise Fitzgerald. I mean, tons of guys. Casey Jones. A bunch of guys were there for the induction. So it was great seeing those guys. We still wore our masks outside. We were being very careful. But it was really, really exciting. And, and of course, EJ, I thought EJ's uh, induction speech was by far the best. What'd you like about it? You told me that when we were talking before this. What, what, what'd you take away from it? Why do you think it was so good? You know what? He's always been that way. He, you know, he's always been the way he gave the speech. Doesn't have a lot of words, but all the words mean a lot. You know, it, it was like, you know, he was saying like, you know, we didn't have a man in the house. He says, but I'm the man. You know, talking about his mother. His mother's raised his kids, you know, after his girlfriend died. And then, you know, he was talking about his hair. He says, that's my mane, and this is the way I am. And just everything he said was right on point. What is it? And that's the way he's been ever since I've known him. Not man a few words, but everything that he says is real meaningful. And uh, that's the way it was there. It was great. So he kind of hooked on to this, started with the gold teeth, ended with the gold jacket. But it's a little deeper than that. What do you take from that when you hear him say that only because you know him so well? Yeah, you know, he was raised in Immokalee, you know. And, uh, you know, of course, that when, when Art, Art Kehoe recruited him, but I went to see him, you know, I wanted to see him practice and stuff. It's a rural place. It's a rough place to grow up in. What I take it from is this is the way he is. You know, this is the way he was raised. This is part of him. This is me. 
And I always told him, you know, even as I got closer to him while I coached him, I always said to him, you know, I said, as long as you're doing the right thing, as long as you're treating people the right way and you're doing the right thing, I said, it doesn't matter. The gold teeth doesn't matter. The hair doesn't matter. You know, if you're doing the right thing and producing at what you're doing and, and treating people right. And that's kind of the way he's he's lived the life. You know, he says, this was me. You know, this is how I am. And he went from there. And that's the way he's always been as far as I've known him. And kind of doing some reading on, on Edge, uh, a bunch of stuff was written about him prior to the Hall of Fame ceremonies. There are numerous stories about his work ethic and when he would work out, like literally working out 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Were you aware? I guess, was he doing those things in college? Uh, and if not, maybe you could just speak to the kind of worker, forget the talent, the kind of worker he was. When we first got him, you know, he was like several of the players we had. You know, he probably didn't pass the SAT right away. He, he passed it at the end. But he always came in. When he came in, he always had a great work ethic, always. And he never talked. The first year, he, I don't even think he talked to me the first year at all. He just listens, you know, he listens and he, and he really is very analytical about everything and has a great work ethic. And once you teach him something, it's like banking. He banks everything, you, you know, you might correct him once or twice, but he banks it and he doesn't make mistakes. And that's the way he was. He's always been that way. Super smart, super intelligent, very straightforward. Whatever he says, you can bank it. He's going to do it. And never had a problem. Never missed any workouts. If he was going to miss class, he would come tell me. I have to go back. My girlfriend, you know, is going to have a baby or whatever it was. You know, if he had to go back to a mockley, he was always a straight shooter. And that's the way he's always been. And that's kind of the way I am. So we got along pretty good. So you said Art Kehoe, who was kind of riding, rode side saddle with you for a lot of those years at Miami, was the first one to see him. So, like, what do you remember about Art telling you about him? Like, hey, is it, hey, Don, you got to see this kid? Like, do you remember Art first telling you about Edron James? Yeah, because, you know, I, I had just come from high school and I had some great ball players. You know, I had, I had great ball players. We had just lost the state championship. You know, so I had come from high school. I had, you know, the Davis brothers and things like that. I've had, I, and Irvin, and I had some great ball players. And Art says, you got to see this kid. He says, it's like a, a boy, you know, it's like a man playing with a bunch of little kids. I said, I got to come see him, you know. And I went up there and that's what it was. I mean, if you ever saw a guy playing with a bunch of little kids and little kids are trying to tag him and the guy jumps out a little bit, that's exactly the way it was. You couldn't touch him. He was unbelievable. Just a great athlete. He was like all those guys I coached at Southridge, even, even better. Super kid. I mean, really just a super kid. So it was a no-brainer. Was it one shot, one visit, and you knew you had to have him? Ohio State was recruiting him pretty heavily, but I think they backed off because of his test score. And we we said we'd hold on. We'd go with him all the way. You know, and I think he wanted to be around home. You know, I think he wanted to stay close to home, close with his mother, close with his family. And that, that was one of the things he, he gave in, in the induction speech, was talking about how, how close he was to his family and what that meant to him. All right, so now let's talk. You said he was smart. He was a hard worker. Now let's talk about him as the running back. Give me the scouting report. Define and describe his abilities as a what ultimately became a Hall of Fame running back, but when you had him. He could do anything. I mean, if he played receiver, he could have been a receiver. He could have been anything he wanted to be. I mean, he's super tough, great pass protector. That, and I think he mentioned it actually in his induction speech, how he felt he took so much pride in protecting uh, Peyton Manning. You know, and that's the thing I preach to the guys. I said, there are a lot of guys who can run the pill. Not many guys can protect. So he's a great pass protector, great hands. The only thing that I really helped him with 
is he, he did a little bit too much dancing. That's what he did in high school. The juking, he juked before he'd get to the line of scrimmage. And I said, you can't do that. I said, once you get in the secondary, you might want to put a move on somebody and go to the goal line, but you can't make all those moves. So, you know, I was just glad to be a little bit of a, a little part of that, but he could do it all. He had great speed, great strength, tough as nails, smart as a whip and, and no mistakes. That was it, you know, and he was playing with a bunch of guys. You know, at first he was he was unhappy because he wanted to play all the time. But, you know, I, I started, you know, I'm, I'm looking at one of the pictures I have of the running backs. I mean, later on sitting in the room and it was true with him. He was in there with James Jackson, with Nigel Davenport, you know, uh, Portis came in, Gore came in, all those guys came in. But the 2001 team, I mean, I, I always had guys like this. I had Davenport, I had McGee, I had Portis. Peyton, Quatron Hill, and Frank Gore all sitting in the same room. And all those guys had opportunity to play ball. So we were rotating guys. And I said, you know, I said, make sure you make your reps count. I said, I want to play several of you because I think you all could play pro ball if you're on your game. And sure enough, you know, our guys became really good and we started rotating backs, which a lot of people are doing now. You know, instead of using one back and have a possibility of injuries or getting tired, you keep a guy fresh. And he said, Coach, I hated it. He said, but when I got in the league, I was like brand new. I said, I never had any injuries. I felt great. A lot of guys came in all dinged up. He says, I never never was that way because we rotated guys. But he was special. He was. I remember his first game was Baylor. And when he got in into that game, you know, that was one of his first big games. He was fabulous. So you have any good descriptors other than unreal to describe the UCLA game? You asked me the other day, you want the top five performances. That's pretty hard to do, but I listed it. I had to go down because, you know, guys don't realize, I mean, I had a bunch of great backs. And I put the seventh one. I went to seven. So let me just do this for the audience. You know, I want coaches' true and authentic responses to everything. But since he coached so many good players, I didn't want him to rank the players but I wanted him to rank the performances, the best performances he saw or witnessed as a coach. And so I guess I kind of led him into that with the edge UCLA game. So I asked for five, he went for seven. So lay it on us, coach. Well, for the thing, and it probably disappointed a lot of fans. I know it disappointed this kid greatly because I think this kid might've been untouchable if he was stayed healthy. But Frank's first game against West Virginia, he had an unbelievable game. He had over 100 yards, I think 143 yards, something like that. But he averaged 17 yards a carry that game as a true freshman. And I thought that was an unbelievable performance. And obviously, he got hurt after that. And, and his UM career was never healthy. But that was, to me, that was kind of a tease because if he would have stayed healthy, you never, you know, he would have been unbelievable. And obviously, he'll be a first rounder in the Hall of Fame. So I picked that one out because that showed what type of guy he was. And he came back from injuries and did fairly well. Never made the 1,000 yards. He was right there. He was like 970, 975. But he always had. He was always dinged up. But that performance in West Virginia was unbelievable. That was a great one. The next performance I, that people, and, and people don't talk about this guy as much, even though his father was a Hall of Famer, is Peyton, Jared Peyton. In his last year, he's the only guy that I coached that got 100-yard games against FSU in the same season. We went up to FSU and beat him up there. He had over 100 yards in that game, had a fabulous game. And they, we played him in the Orange Bowl. 
and he came down and had over 100 yards in that game and was the MVP of the Orange Bowl. I thought he really never got his just due. He was actually a soccer player and a quarterback in high school. He didn't play a lot of uh, football. That was real impressive to me of what he did because he just got better and better and better and obviously had a little time in the league. The next performance that I put down, and it's funny, I was talking to Art about this. We, we play Ohio State in the kickoff classic, and uh, James Jackson and I.J. Davenport are the tailbacks, and we're playing Ohio State, and Portis is a true freshman, and Portis is there, and Jackson goes to Portis. He says, watch. He says, I'm going to break it on my first run. I'm going to score a touchdown, and sure enough, his first run, 56 yards right down the sideline. Portis looked at me and says, I can't believe that. It was a 56-yard run by James Jackson against Ohio State, first run. In that game, Davenport, we lose Davenport for the season, and James Jackson gets a high ankle sprain, and we have to play Portis and Peyton the rest of the year. If those two guys would have stayed healthy, if Jackson and Davenport would have stayed healthy, that would have been a national championship football team also. You know, that we lose Davenport and Jackson was hurt for like three or four ball games. You know, we didn't do well. But that was a predicted run. It was like a Muhammad Ali deal. I, I'm going to score on the first <laughs> And he did it. The next one, and this guy I really felt bad for because I wasn't allowed to coach him the way I wanted to. You know, Larry kind of took it away from me. I got kind of hard on him sometimes, you know, but he was a great kid. He was like a Frank Gore in Broward County. We're playing Clemson at Clemson. I finally talked, uh, I don't know if it was Chudzinski. It was either Chudzinski or, or, uh, or Dan Warner. I talked him into going into the, this unbalanced line, and we tie him in regulation, and Moss beats him in overtime. I thought that was a great performance, you know, uh, by Tyrone. Uh, he had a great game, over 100 yards, and overtime he carried the ball like uh, four times, three times straight, and scored, and we beat uh, Clemson in overtime. So that was to me a, a, a top-notch performance. You know, I, I of course I left, and after I left, you know, he kind of just got lost in the in the shuffle, which he shouldn't have, because I thought he was just as good as any of the guys I coached. Three is Portis, and it's that same year, you know, his freshman year. We're playing Georgia Tech in the Gator Bowl. And I hey, I love Butch Davis. Oh, I, you know, I coached with him for 11 years. Uh, I think the world of him is a great recruiter and everything else. But he, when I started using rotating backs, he wasn't big on that. He wanted to kind of settle on a back. But this was at the end of the year. And, of course, Jackson was the back. He was healthy. But he was tired. Jackson's just tiptoeing. He's not running the way he normally runs, you know. So I, I kind of pull him out, you know. And I put... Portis in there and Butch takes a look and he says, he runs down and he says, what's Portis doing in that game? He says, get, get Jackson back in. It was a pretty close game. I said, okay, right after this play, 78 yards, game ball record on a 12, on a 12 draw. I ran down to Butch. I said, you still want him out? He says, yeah, take him out. I said, okay. So that was, uh, that was a little inkling of what Clinton did. And then obviously the run in the uh, national championship game, the touchdown he had in the national championship game was pretty impressive you know he broke a couple of tackles and then sprinting down the sideline but great career but that was his first big run was against Georgia Tech the next one and it's a toss-up you know the second one the performance probably Willis had in the Virginia Tech game he had six touchdowns you couldn't stop him I mean Willis McGay he probably that the year he had he really had a Heisman Trophy year I thought 
you know, but Dorsey had a great year and they kind of canceled each other out. And I forget who won the Heisman that year, but it wasn't either one of them, you know, but they were at the ceremony. But the uh, Virginia Tech game, you know, uh, you just couldn't stop Willis, you know, and that was a pretty close game. And Willis just kept scoring one right after the other. You know, they, they couldn't stop them. But that performance was pretty good, that six-touchdown game. And then, obviously, what you said, Edron James, uh, we were supposed to play UCLA earlier in the season. They had a hurricane that came. And we're coming and we're coming off the Syracuse loss, which was probably the worst loss I had or we had at the University of Miami. I mean, they beat us 66 to 17 or something like that. You know, it was a horrible game. They, they kicked our butt pretty good. And uh, we're playing UCLA, who's ranked number two in the country. You know, and I, this is the game that put him as uh, the fourth pick in the draft. I mean, he had a 299-yard game. He was unbelievable. That was probably the best performance by a back that I coached. Is there a moment from that game? Is there a play, a run, anything from that particular game that stood out above the rest? Anything, Any lasting memories of that UCLA game? There were several of them. I mean, he had several runs. You know, he had a run down the sideline. Uh, he had several long runs. He had some great blitz pickups. One of the things, there was another game that he played in, you know, and, and I, I was big with all the backs. You know, I, I the first thing I told him, I said, if you can't pass protect, you can't play. You're not going to play for us. You know, you got to be able to protect. And he, we played, uh, and I believe it was either the Pitt or West Virginia game. We were run, we run a 12 lead, and all his blitz pickups are onside, either the Mike to perimeter or the Sam to perimeter. They were running a corner blitz off the edge, and he picked it up. He saw it. And that wasn't his guy, but he made the fake and came all the way back and picked that up. And uh, that was, a, to me, real impressive. You know, it's something that I, I enjoyed. I don't know if people enjoyed it, but that was, uh, that's what I preached. And I think that's why I stayed in the league. And as a matter of fact, in his Hall of Fame speech, he was saying, you know, that, you know, if you want to respect your teammates, you got to be able to pass, protect, and protect the quarterback. So that was it. But in that, in the UCLA game, we just had several runs that were outstanding and uh, several blitz pickups. And he just had, that game, I mean, when when the pro scouts came in, they pick up that game. Was, he, he went higher than Ricky Williams. I think Ricky Williams won the uh, Heisman Trophy, and he, he went uh, higher than Ricky. Did you have an inkling of that? Had you had any conversations with the Colts GM? I think it was Bill Polian back then. Did you know they were high on him? Oh, yeah. You know, they saw that game, and, then, you know, they came in, and they talked to me and talked to several players. I always used to tell them, you know, the, the pro scouts came in. It was funny. I don't know. Our culture of Miami was a little bit different. We had in, in the locker room, we had a TV, a big screen TV in the locker room, and we had couches around it. And it looked like a ring almost. It looked like a fighting ring. And uh, our guys would challenge guys. They challenge each other. They were very uh, competitive. They wanted to see how guys, how tough guys were. They didn't want to play with guys that that couldn't hold their own. So I told the pro guys, I said, you know, they kind of call guys out, and you know, they wrestle in there. I mean, it's not a fist fight type thing, but more wrestling and roughhousing. And he retired two years undefeated in the ring. Nobody beat him. Offensive lineman, defensive lineman, nobody could beat Edrin. He was the guy. He was the man. I think that helped out, too, a little bit <laughs> as far as the pro thing went. 
because they uh, it was funny he was quoted as saying that they i guess they interviewed ricky they weren't happy and then they they started looking at film on edrin and they said the way he hit the hole his ability to avoid linebackers at the second level was clear to us that he was far and away the better player but they were the only ones who knew it so when he got picked you weren't surprised i wasn't surprised i thought he was really special people always ask me says you know each guy had something different you know every guy i coach had something a little bit different they were all great you know, I think Portis was a great back. When Davenport was a tailback, he was excellent, and he was excellent as a fullback. You know, Davenport was really good. I, mean, I almost put Davenport in there in the Florida game when we beat him in the Sugar Bowl. He made some unbelievable catches. He plucked the ball off a guy's shoulder pads. I mean, every guy I had had something special. And Frankie always asked me, who do you think the best is? If I got hurt, do you think I would have been the best? Frankie always asked me that. And I said, and, and he might have been the best running back pure running back but as far as an athlete as far as everything when you say everything you know you talk about speed strength vision you know hands he had it all every name had it all he was a pretty gifted guy we've done a bunch of these podcasts Portis has been on Santana Moss has been on a few other guys have been on and the way they talk about Edrin they have such respect and reverence for him. So that leads me to this. What was he like in the locker room? Why did people respect him so much? And why was he able to be thought of in that way? What was it about him? Smart, 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 and a straight shooter. Always shooting at straight. And, you know, and not only, and you can see it even now, after the years he's been gone, you know, and been out of the league, you know, look at his business acumen. I mean, he just, everything he does is right on point. You know, when he interviewed the agents, he interviewed the agents. You know, he just didn't turn over his money to anybody. He's very smart on how he goes about things. And, and he's kind of a mentor to the younger guys. A lot of those guys went through their money. You know, a lot of those guys did and, and didn't handle it correctly. He handled everything straight up. You know, he, he flew me out to uh, Hawaii when he made the Pro Bowl. And he says, Coach, he says, I'm going to take care of everybody, but I can't take care of them all now. He says, hey, I'll take care of them when I can, when the time comes. You know, everybody that's helped me, been a part of this career, so I'll, I'll, I'll help out. But I can't do it all at once. So he, he knew what he was, he knew what he wanted. He knew how to get there. And he says, you know, he says, I never want to be back in Immokalee again, as far as that type of, of uh, financial situation. And he hasn't been. He has a place. He has a compound in Orlando, and he has a place in um, off Brickell. And and uh, he's always handled himself above and beyond as far as his finances, as far as everything he does with people. And uh, he's a special cat. I've always told everybody I talk to, this guy is really special. And and Frankie's that way a little bit too. Frankie has an unbelievable personality, very much like Edwin. Takes care of his stuff. Take care. He takes care of his business. Great work ethic, you know, and they're, they're special guys. I was very fortunate. I got put in the Hall of Fame. You know, those guys put me in the Hall of Fame. I was, I was lucky to be around guys. I said, I, I said in my Hall of Fame speech, I said, a lot of people hit the lottery and make a lot of money. I never made a lot of money in Miami. I made more money in high school than I made in Miami. But I, I hit the lottery being around great, great coaches and great players. You, you mentioned Frank or Frankie a couple of times. I covered high school football down here for a few years, not when he was in high school, but the lore about Frank or in high school is that like, he was the best anyone had ever seen in Dade County. True or false? Pretty true. I mean, he, he was unbelievable. I mean, he's a character. He, he says he brought in his high school film, you know, and didn't tell me it was his high school film. 
And he says, what do you think of this guy, coach? And the guy had like the 300-yard game. I said, that guy's pretty good, you know. I said, he said, would you recruit him? He said, I don't know. He said, I said, he don't look very big, but he looks pretty good. I think I'd recruit him. He said, that's me, coach. But he he was uh, he was pretty good. Now, I coached some great guys in high school. You know? I, I coached a kid, Tony Smith, that played at FSU. That was in 79. He was a junior that year. That's when Buster Rhymes played. And there were several good players you know, in Miami, and he was never, get, he never would get the press. He had like, he broke the Dade County rushing record, and it was, it stayed for about 12 years, but this kid never played after the first series of the third quarter. I always pulled him out, because we were ahead, you know, we, our team was so good. That guy, he, he, Tony Smith could have been unbelievable, too, but you know, Frank played, you know, every game, you know, forever, so he definitely was probably one of the best, if not the best, back coming out of Dade County. So you said before about the injuries, right? How the injuries kind of held him up. He didn't crack a thousand yards. I don't think he was a first round draft pick. I think he was a mid round draft pick. But that being said, he's lasted in the NFL all these years. Why? How does he keep going? Frank Gore is a throwback as far as work ethic. You know, Frank Frank was going to quit playing. The time, you know, you know how I got hurt in Miami. We were an inside run drill. Shiano, Greg Shiano, were putting the safeties. In the inside run drill, it was a seven on seven, but they were playing with nine guys. And I said, what are you doing that for? He says, well, you know, the safety's got a fit. It was all gap control. So when he'd make a call, he wanted to make sure the safeties were going to the gaps they were responsible for. And and Frank Gore's vision is so good. He probably was the most natural as far as vision. I would say, how did you see that? You know, he'd come out of holes that were unbelievable. He could always follow his blocking and stuff. Well, he was inside run drill, and it opened up, and he cut. And, and Sean Taylor was right there. So he tried to cut from Sean Taylor. Now, they, the safeties weren't hitting guys, but Frank would see him, and, and he tried to cut. He didn't get hit. He just cut, and his knee went out. That was that was the second time, I believe, his knee went out. When he was in, I went to visit him in the hospital. He said, Coach, I'm not playing anymore. I'm done. I said, what are you talking about? I said, God gave you an unbelievable gift. Because he's by far the, probably the most natural of all of them. He had great vision great hips, great moves. And I said, you got to play. And I kind of convinced him to go back and play. Never had the year that some of the other guys had because he was always, he was heavy one year. He couldn't work out before the season. And he was playing in the 20s where he should be playing at 210, 215. You know, so he, he never had the, he was never healthy, basically, at Miami. He was always at, a, at a 85, 90%, not 100 so, you know, that, that was the thing. He gets in the league, he's never hurt, he's never injured. But, you know, Uribe, who was our medical guy, said this was going to happen to him. He was going to have knee problems because the groove and the ligaments didn't match up. Uribe told me, he says, after these surgeries, he's going to be better than he ever was. And that's what happened. Settle the rumor mill. In the Fiesta Bowl in 03, the end of the 02 season, was there any thought of lifting his red shirt and putting him in? No. You're talking about a national championship game against Ohio State? No. I, I didn't I didn't think we matter of fact Peyton won in. That game, we should have won that game anyway. Dorsey got dinged at the end and we, we ran a pass and Winston, Eric Winston was wide open and, and Dorsey just didn't didn't hit him, you know, because he was dinged up, you know. But that game should have never went to overtime. Does that game still frost you a little bit? That game frosts me. I can't watch it. it me off when it comes on it's horrible i just gotta I'm, you know i got a hearing aid in you know and so i got it adjusted and the gal was from ohio she says i'm, I'm from ohio you know and i said oh man i said 
I said, hey, you, did you ever see that game? She says, yeah, because her husband's an AD at, at the UM. He says, yeah, I saw it, you know, and, and I said, we should have never lost that game. I mean, the wives were on the field after, you know, I mean, the fireworks were going off, you know, and, so, and all of a sudden the flag comes out. Because that was bad, bad deal. That was not a good thing. <laughs> that was no, I'm with you. I was there. It was unbelievable. I, I, Joe Z and Don, we're all calling the game. I can hear them. Joe's calling the championship, literally calling, and the Canes won the national championship. And then it's, there's the flag there. And it was mayhem. Fireworks were going off. It was. Jimmy always said, Jimmy said, don't let the ref, don't put it in the referee's hands, but come on. I mean, now, you know, the guy made a good play and the referee throws the flag late. And it was bad. It was a bad thing. But hey, that's, that's the way it is. Jimmy happens to be right. How's that Cleveland Gary thing, you know, on the goal line? You know, you put it in the referee's hands. We should have won that game. We should have won the national championship that year. You know, so, you know, it, it just, those things happen. You know, those things happen in football. I guess you got to live with them. You mentioned Sean Taylor. Did you ever see him as a running back at, in high school? Oh, yeah. He's fabulous, man. Fabulous. You know, he, he did some things at Miami that were unbelievable in special teams, returning kicks. We beat Pittsburgh on a, on a reverse. He and Parrish. Parrish caught the ball, and Sean pulled out, and we ran a reverse to him, and he beat Pitt like a 20, 27-21 game. We beat him because of that play. I mean, he was phenomenal. Sean Taylor could do anything. He was another guy that was really special. You know, and I knew his dad, and I knew Sean, you know, really well since he was a kid. He used to come to our camps all the time. He was just a special football player. If you talk to Portis, you talk to Moss, you talk to any of those guys that played with him in Washington, I mean, he, he would have been a lock, a first-round lock for a Hall of Famer, too. He was just getting squared away. Matter of fact, I was at the Pro Bowl, and Fra Frankie took me out to the Pro Bowl and in that game, you know, and Sean was in that game. And I was talking to him, and he says, you know, Coach, he says, I'm just starting to get really squared away. Had the girlfriend, just had the kid, you know, and we, we were just talking. And, you know, he, he had he had some rough roads to go. He, you know, he had to make some adjustments, but he says, hey, everything's going straight uphill. And he's having a great year, and, and he had that surgery down here. And, and then, uh, you know, that thing happened, you know, uh, he gets shot by that kid. It's a shame, man, because he's, he was a special guy for Sean. You mentioned Najee before, but he kind of gets lost in the shuffle because he had to move positionally. But you said he could have been just, uh, maybe not just as special, but could have been a super talented tailback. Let me tell you what, he's a pretty special guy. I, I've known Najee since ninth grade. You know, he was a straight-A student all the way up into high school. I mean, very smart, you know, everything else. And th this really kind of ticked me off the national championship year. Because if you look at the national championship year, these were the guys sitting in the room. It was Davenport. McGahey, Portis, Peyton, Gore, and Hill, okay? And Hill was a tailback, fullback type guy. Hill really wasn't a fullback, but he did play fullback. He was full, he was fullback for McGahey, really. He was the guy that blocked for McGahey. So we have meetings, and, and Chodzinski was the coordinator, and I coached Rob at tight end when I was coaching tight ends with Jimmy. And I love Rob. He's a smart guy and everything else. But I, I told Rob, I went in and I said, you know, take a look at what we got. Take a look at the backfield. I said, we got a bunch of tailbacks in, in that room. I said, let me take, and now McGahee, I don't if you, if you ever see McGahee, McGahee could carry, you could put every weight in the weight room on his shoulders. He'd walk out with it on his back. That's how strong he was. Um, McGahee was a freak strength-wise. You know, he's, he's super, super strong, super fast, super tough. Davenport, super fast. 
was a four, four guy for his size. He weighed about 240. You know, he's six, one, six, two, 240. He was a stud. McGahey was 227. Gore was a phenom as a freshman. Hill was a good ball player, but he wasn't quite ready yet. And Peyton wasn't quite ready yet. And Portis was a stud. Portis had a great time. So I went to Chud. I said, you know what? You want to really be good. I said, take, you leave these four guys. I'll teach you. And they all are smart. I, they could learn it. We had a pretty complex playbook. I said, I can teach Portis, McGahey, Davenport, and Gore. I can teach them all tailback and Peyton if we need them. I said, I can teach all those guys tailback, but take McGahey and take Davenport, let them play tailback and fullback. They can learn it. And now you have two big tailbacks that can run the ball from the foot. We, if you look at Miami, we very rarely ran the ball from the fullback position. That guy was a blocker and a pass catcher, mostly. But if you take McGahey and you take Davenport and you stick them at, at fullback, you can, they could run the ball from there and it, it become another threat. You can put them in in short yardage. You got a guy that's 240, a guy that's 227. They'd be almost impossible to stop. And they're blocking for Portis. You know, and if you needed Gore, Peyton, or any of these other guys, they could play because they were learning it too. I said, it just make us better. We get into the meeting at the beginning of the season. He says, this is what we're going to do with the running backs. Portis and McGahey are going to be tailbacks. We're going to move Davenport to fullback, and we're going to move Peyton to fullback. And then, you know, the other guys, you know, if they can learn it or, you know, get in and spot play, they can spot play. That's what we're going to do. We come to the Nebraska game. Now, that whole season, you know what they told? They called, that day, they called Davenport in and said, we're going to take care of you, bro. We'll get the ball to you. He never saw the ball running the ball ever. I think he had two carries the whole year. Now he had, did some good things catching the ball and stuff like that. But and he did and he blocked. He was very unselfish. He blocked for those guys and did a great job. We go into the national championship game and we're practicing. I think we're in shorts. He breaks his foot and he don't play in a national championship game. They come to me, Larry and Chud come in. What are we going to do? I said, Are you kidding me? I said, the only way you're going to win this game is putting McGahey at fullback. He says, can you teach him fullback in 20 practices? I said, I don't have a choice. So I tell McGahey, I say to McGahey, hey, because now he, McGahey and Portis always were competing. And I mean, fierce competition. They were almost to the point where they didn't like each other. Because Portis would really get under your skin. You know, he'd walk in, he said, he, 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 well, first time in Denver when he was playing in Denver, <laughs> As a, as a rookie, he walked into the room and says, which one, one of you guys, are, who, who's blocking for me? You know, I'm going to be starting, so I want to know who's going to be blocking for me. That's the type of way, that's the way Portis is. So I said to McGahey, I said, you're going to have to play fullback. He said, I ain't playing, I ain't blocking for him. <laughs> he didn't want to do it. You know, so I said, hey, I said, we can't win this game without you there. So I taught him 20 practices he had. Very, I think he made one or two mental errors, but had a great game blocking and, and did a great job. So did you enjoy coaching Portis? Because we know he's a character. Was it fun or was he a little frustrating? Well, I knew him. I knew, I knew him pretty well. Yeah, I love coaching Portis because you know what? Super confident guy. He used to come to me on the sideline and, and elbow me. Go, you want to win this? I'll never, the Washington game when we were out there in Washington. We, I, I walked the campus for three years after that game. We never lost a game in three years after that game. But he said, he, and Jackson is playing. And he comes down to me and says, hey, coach, get Jackson out. He says, you want to win this game? I mean, he would, you know, he, he would come to me. I mean, I had a good relationship with him, but super cocky guy. 
but super confident, hell of a ball player, smart as a whip. I, I was tickled to see him at the Hall of Fame. I talked to him some. I love Portis. I really do. He's a hell of a competitor, one of the best competitors. If you, you said of all the guys I've coached, he's probably the best competitor. That's how competitive he is. How'd you run the room? How did you keep it all cohesive? Or maybe you didn't. I don't know. You know, it's very hard the way they, like Davenport, the national championship year, he was ticked off, man. He wanted to be a tailback. He wanted to play a tailback. And I, I was kind of telling him, I said, you know, I don't want, want to use you. And I said, you got to play. I said, there's only one ball and there's only one tailback. I said, you all can't play tailback. But I said, I can teach you tailback. I can teach. I, I, I had told the kid. I had told the kids. Told McGahey the same thing. You know, to get you in the game, you guys got to learn the fullback tailback slot. And I said, now we can we can do anything we want. You know, we have two big backs in the game. You got Portis and McGahey in the game. Portis and Davenport in the game. I mean, it's a perfect setup. I mean, you got three stud backs, all pro ball players, all super competitive, and all great ball players. We would have been unbelievable. It was hard coaching. You know, at the end, you know, I'm hard on the guys. I, I was real hard on the guys. But they appreciated it. They they really appreciated it afterwards because they all well, I ten guys that I coached are, were in the league. Every guy, almost every guy I coached made it in the league at least three years. There are, there I think there are five of the guys I coached had over eight thousand yards in the league. You know, I mean I, I was they're great ball players, great kids, and, and if you let me do it, that's why I didn't want to settle on one guy. You can't settle on one guy. They're all they all had pro potential. So that to me makes me as a coach a lot better. It makes us as a team a lot better. And I try to talk to the you know the head coaches and you know Butch finally bought into it. Larry bought into it to a certain degree, but they they didn't for some reason they wanted to take it out of my hands. I, and you know I know Larry didn't like the way I you know I, I cuss a little bit and I get after the kids and I'm I'm tough on them. But they took it and they heck Frankie flew me to the Pro Bowl, EJ flew me to the Pro Bowl. You know I mean they they appreciate what happened. They knew after it's all said and done, the kids knew what I was doing. Just to, I, I I was had their best interest at heart. You know, I just try to polish them up and let them use their skills, you know, and, and correct the little things. And they took it from there. And they were great ball players, great kids, and they all had great careers. Coach, let me ask you this, because you said something relative to recruiting and then Edrin said something about the U and practice uh, when he was kind of getting ready for the Hall of Fame ceremony. And they kind of go hand in hand. So you said, basically, if I'm recruiting a guy and he asked me who's in the room, I don't want him because he doesn't want to compete. And then Edge basically said, and a lot of guys have said this, right, like how ridiculously hard and competitive practice was at the University of Miami. So what was it like on Green Street? Goodness gracious. It was hard. For example, you walk in and you do a blitz drill where it's linebackers against backs. You know who you're going against in linebacker? going against DJ Williams, Jonathan Vilma, Rocky McIntosh. These are all guys who play pro ball. You're going against the best of the best at everything you're doing. In the secondary, you're going against a rump. You're going against Taylor. You're going against the best of the best. If you did, That's one of the reasons in the culture at Miami, you know, they kind of did away with that culture of guys calling guys out to see how competitive they were, how tough they were, in a, in, you know, when they were called out by other guys. It was just the culture at Miami. They wanted to see the toughness of guys. And I'm going to tell you what, man, everything that they did at Miami was super, super. I'm talking from weight training to blitz drills to 
seven on seven every day. You didn't bring your A game, you were in trouble. And they knew it. And, they, and you knew it in the room. I told guys, I said, if you make mistakes, you're going to be watching from the sidelines. If you get your opportunities, don't screw up because I don't know how long you're going to be in there. You know, as long as you're, you're performing, you'll be okay. But if you make any mistakes, and they, the guy's right behind you. And he's probably just as good or maybe better than you. Was it like that with Jimmy, too? We talk so much about 2001, 2002, 2000, but you go back to 86, 87. Those teams were just as stacked. Just as good. That team that lost to Penn State might be as good as the 201 team. I put the team that lost to Penn State against any team we I coached afterwards. Those guys were unbelievable with Highsmith and Pratt. And those guys were unbelievable. Irvin, come on, that was a great team, too, now. Was it the same way? Was it the same way on the practice field with them? Oh, my God, yeah. It was unbelievable. There were fistfights on the practice field. How competitive it was. All right, they were, Miami, let me tell you something. Miami's different, a different kind of place. I'll tell you, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a story that's really interesting. Edwin Dame comes to me his freshman year. He says, Coach, he says, uh, I'm leaving. I said, what do you mean you're leaving? <laughs> You just got here. It's the only time he really talked to me his freshman year. I said, he says, I'm with I says, I want to screw somebody up. I said, what are you talking about? He says, they want to cut my hair. If they cut my hair, I'm going to blank somebody up. This is as a freshman. He said, they ain't cutting my hair. So I finally talked to him. I said, oh, it's a tradition thing. And they shaved his head. They did. Yeah, oh, yeah. They shaved his head. And that was a, some of the things that went on in my, those were the traditions that were laid out there. Everything there was... You know, you had to fit into the culture. If you didn't fit into the culture, they kind of, I, when I first got to Miami, I, I'm saying, we say, okay, butt up or do this. And all of a sudden, you know, in a scrimmage or something, some guy would get mauled. And then the guy would get mauled again. I said, that guy wasn't doing what the guys wanted. In which they weren't fitting in. He was either missing a weight workout. He wasn't running the sprints right. So that was payback. That was, hey, we know, and you're not getting away with it. They monitored what was going on. They monitored them themselves. And and I tell you what, I, I, I looked at it and I said, Phew. that was the law of the land. You either did it the way that we all did it, or I'll see you later. That you kind of became ostracized. And that's that's the way it was. But that's what made us good. If you really look back at it, you know, and, and a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's kind of barbaric or that's not good. You know, you can't do it that way. That's what made us pretty damn good, I think. Jimmy knew how to push that, did he not? Oh, he knew exactly. Jimmy, by far, as far as psychology, as far as getting people to produce you know, getting them, you know, they, he, he was bottom line, get it done. And he knew how, he knew the buttons to push to get it done. Jimmy was the best in that, you know, uh, even at the Hall of Fame, he, he kind of said it, you know, his Hall of Fame deal was like, and it was sort of like myself, you know, I put so much time in high school and so much time in at the UM. I mean, I would leave at 5.30 and get back at 1.30 at night. You know, my wife would be sleeping when I left. He says, you, you've been married how long? I said, 53 years. I said, but I didn't see her for about six, 16. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't see her very often. So I didn't know what it was like. Probably helped the marriage out, coach. It helped the marriage out for, you know, with 53 years and going, you know, so it's not too bad. But the thing is, you know, I mean, those were the thing. You just put in a lot of time. And I tell you what, Jimmy was the best at that. He got you to play with the glass full. You know, you never played with half a glass. If your glass was this tall, you know, some guys' glasses might be bigger than other glasses, but if your glass was that tall, you're going to play with that thing overflowing from the top.
he's going to make you, he's going to get the best out of every guy. A hundred percent of what you got, you're going to give. And, you know, even in recruiting, when I first started recruiting with Jimmy, it's a great story. Jimmy, you know, calls me and he says, you like coaching here? I said, I love it. It's great. You know, and I had a great high school job. I had one of the best high school jobs in the country, probably. And I said, no, I love it here, man. He says, well, good. He says, you better start recruiting some players because if you don't bring in some players, he said, you're going to be on the street again. I, so, I, you know, and I was recruiting Gainesville. I was recruiting Tallahassee. I was recruiting Ocala, Orlando, the Space Coast. And in the early 80s, that was, you know what that was? That was Miami Vice types. If, they, if you had UM shirt, they didn't even want you in the school. It was tough when I first started recruiting there. And so, I, you know, I, I was telling him, well, coach, I said, you know, they, you know, I started making excuses. And he gets up from behind me and says, hey, don't tell me what you can't do. Go out and get some players or you ain't going to have a job. Now get out of my office. And so I understand that, you know, but I understand. And that's that's the name of the game. So, you know, I said, I, I did. I Thank God I could do it my way. I mean, you know, I didn't cheat. I didn't give kids hats or go. I mean, I did it, did it my way, but I wound up getting some pretty good ball players there. Take me back a few years before that, right? You're a high school coach. Howard comes. What did you see from afar in terms of what he was trying, before you got hired by him, what did you see that he was doing and why was it working for him? You know, people don't give Howard, I don't know if they give Howard enough credit. Hey, he's a special guy. You know, he coached for Bryant at Alabama. You know, he recruited Namath. I mean, he re- he had a special career, really. And as I started watching it, you know, as you watch it from afar, and I was wrapped up in high school football, but you started seeing what he was doing and he was way ahead of the group in passing. He was a coordinator on undefeated team for the Dolphins. You know, he had a great demeanor, a great feel for the game as far as offensive football and protections, you know, pass protections and things like that. And, you know, he was recruiting great quarterbacks. Of course, they won the national championship in 83 and we lost the state championship in 83. And then on the other side of the ball was Arnsbarger. Orange Parker was pretty damn good, too. You know, they had two great guys. But Schnellenberger just had not only an exceptional visionary of what, what to do, you know, where he drew the line from Daytona through Tampa and said everything below that's the state of Miami. When you start thinking about that, that's pretty smart. Because once you get outside of Orlando, even Orlando on the Space Coast at the time when I first started recruiting was really Florida, Florida State. There there are times I went to games, it was pouring rain, and I'd be sitting there and I'd knock on the press box and say, can I come in a press box? No. Florida coaches would come in, they'd go in the press box. Georgia coaches would go in the press box. And I'm sitting in the rain, you know, with no raincoat getting soaked. You know, that was the type of thing. They hated Miami. So he drew that line from Daytona down to Tampa. And he said, we're going to concentrate everything. So he was not only a visionary as far as coaching X's and O's, he really was a, a good CEO. He was around Shula. He was around Bryant. He knew how to recruit. He knew what, you know, the things to do. And things were rolling. As a matter of fact, we lose the state championship to Manatee in 1983, 27-21. And the game ends on the 11-yard line. We're going in the score. And Canaan's pretty good. I mean, he's won like five state championships after that. And we beat him in, in 93. But, you know, uh, we lose that. They win the national championship. I go to Dallas, that, the convention in Dallas, and I see Schellenberger out there. And I, how, how are you doing? So I really didn't talk to him about football or anything. I get back and I'm woodlifing my deck out here. I get a call on Sunday. Hey, Don, can you come and talk to me? I want to talk to you. It's Schellenberger. I said, Coach, I said, I got to take a shower and I'll come in. I'm 
take a shower, I go in. And we just lose the state championship. He just wins the national championship. And I go in there. And he says, Don, he says, Mike Archer's going to LSU with Orange Parker. Orange Parker just got the job up there, I think, as a head coach. He might have been the head coach. Or, you know, eventually it was the AD. But he says, Archer's leaving. And I said, I'm going to make Tom Alvadotti the coordinator. He's going to coach the secondary. He says, I want you to come in and coach linebackers. You want to do that? I said, well, I guess I got to check with my wife. I said, I said, you know, I got a pretty good job, you know, stuff like that. So I'm saying, yeah, I'd be interested. I'm definitely interested. She said, well, what are they paying you? I didn't, I didn't even know what I was making. I never looked at a paycheck in my life. So I told them, and I was about $200, $2,000 or $3,000 off of what I was getting paid under. He said, well, we can do that, you know? And, that, and then he says, you got any other questions? I said, yeah, what about retirement? And he looks at me pulls a pipe out of his mouth and he says, I don't want to talk to anybody who wants to retire. I said, okay, forget that one. I said, when do you need a no-buy? It's just 10 o'clock tonight. I went back. I told Phyllis, I said, hey, I just been offered a linebacker job in Miami. I said, I think I'm going to take it, you know. Went into school, resigned. And the next thing I know, I was on a flight with snow and I was on a flight to Pittsburgh. Then I went to Harrisburg, snow up the planes going and snowstorms. And so I said, what did I just do? I said, I had a hell of a job, man. And I'm going out recruiting. I was taking Archer's area. But that's that's how I got the job, you know. And then he left right after. I know. So did you think you were going to stick? What do you think was going to happen? Oh, yeah, you figure you're going to go. I said, I, but I figured I, I could always go back to high school. You know, I wasn't leaving. I, I, I made up my mind not to leave Miami. You know, I wanted to raise my kids here and things like that. I just made up my mind I wasn't going to leave. Probably if I moved around a little bit, I might have been able to get a better job or made some more money. But hey, I, I look back now, I don't regret anything. You know, I was around some great, great players, great coaches, man. He, he was a great influence on my career. Howard was a good guy, man. And I worked for Shula one year. You know, I did some bad scouting for him. So I've been around some of the best on in the business. I consider myself super, super lucky as far as, as, far as that's concerned. Can you speak to, because it's such, having been around it, it is such the fabric of, for our youth, for our community, even for sport, of what it's like to be a high school football coach and to be one down here and how important it is. You no, know, I, I do a lot of uh, guest speaking uh, in, in, in some of these uh, classes at the UM where, where people are going, you know, they, they're doing athletic administration and things like that. And the thing that bothers me, you know, I, I think the high school sports, and I've always said this, and there have been some articles written about how I feel about it. I believe that winning in, in football is a byproduct of character, your character, and how you, you come across with your kids as a football coach. If you put the winning first and the character in the background, I don't think you're doing it the right way. I, I think you need the work ethic. I think you need the discipline. I think the pride, you know, accountability, reliability, all the value things and maybe it's throwback because I don't see a lot of these things going on now, loyalty, and I don't see a lot of these things. I see a lot of entitlement now. What are you going to do for me? The only thing you, I can do for a kid that plays in my high school program or at the University of Miami or anything else is give you an opportunity. What you do with that ball once you've got it in your court is entirely up to you. I'm giving you an opportunity. you got to carry it and make, make what you're going to make of it. So, you know, I look at it, and so I've always put character as number one, the number one builder. So if you ask me, I always wanted kids, and I, and I keep in touch with kids now. As a matter of fact, one of the kids 
I just got a text message. One of the kids that played for me in the early, early 80s, I guess, you know, just died of COVID. And I, I just got a text from one of the defensive tackles that played with that kid that he just died. It's a kid in Goulds. So I keep in touch with those kids. But I wanted the kids who came out of my program, if they could say, hey, that was a hell of an experience for me, made me a better person, that's why I look at high school football. So character was the number one thing. Winning is just a byproduct of that character. Now I see a lot of entitlement. What are you doing for me? If things don't go your way, instead of saying, what do I need to do to get better? I need to work harder in the weight room. I need to work on my speed. I need to work on this. Somebody said, hey, I, you come over here and you can start at my place. You don't have to do all that stuff. Don't worry about your grades. You just come over here and play. And that's where kids go. They take the easiest path. And I don't think that's good for what's going on right now. I think you got to find out. I think you got to find out your shortcomings, work on those things, develop your work. I think develop your discipline and bust it. And I think being around good competition makes you better. Uh, it's obvious it happened that way at Miami, happened that way at Southwood when you, you're competing against the best. And you can hang with those guys, makes you pretty good. And you become pretty successful afterwards. You've said you love this town and you love this university. Elaborate on that one for me. Well, you know, I was raised here. You know, I was, I was born at St. Francis Hospital, Miami Beach. I was raised on the beach until uh, I was a six. Then we moved out to Southwest. Uh, Went to West Miami Junior High, Southwest High School. You know, I grew up in this town, and I love it. I love the town, even though it's changed a lot. You know, it's changed quite a bit, and it's a, it's a football town. And and I just I grew up going to those games. As a matter of fact, I was on a committee with Don Bosley. I remember Don when I was a kid. I was a little kid when he was playing. You know, try to climb the fence in the orange bowl, watch some of the games sometimes. You know, but I grew up as a fan, and I knew I wasn't leaving. I made that decision. I used to go to national conventions. Every year I went to national conventions and I'd see guys in the lobby, they're all shaking hands and talking. And so I said, well, you know, I wonder what they're doing. Well, it's, they're all looking for jobs because they've been fired, you know? I said, I don't want to ever be in that situation. And sure enough, we won 34, 35 games. In a row. I walked the campus with Art Keto for three years and we never lost the game. I used to tell Art, I said, let us lose a game. He said, they'll fire our Sure enough, we lose LSU on a beach ball. Boom, we're fired. The worst we were, the worst, my worst record there, other than when I came back with Butch, when when there was that probation, it was a seven and six season or a six and seven season. That was the worst year I had at Miami. I won 157 games there and lost 32 in 16 years. Went to 14 bowl games. I mean, it was the best there was. We lose to LSU and they fired us. I don't know about that, you know, but that's the way it was. I didn't want to leave. I figured I'd go back to high school. And the only reason this last time I didn't go back to high school, I couldn't put my staff back together because I think who you surround yourself with is a big key. You surround yourself with good people, you're going to win. All right, my friend, it was worth the wait. Let me just tell you that. It was worth the wait. I'm glad we did it. You came through. You delivered strong, great stories, exactly what this podcast is about. You took us behind the you, and it was a pleasure to have the opportunity to do this, Coach. I appreciate it. I'm glad you asked me, Josh, because uh, I like talking to you. 